Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, and I am joined, as always, by Bruce Feldman for the second time on this Sunday. Uh, just so you guys know, we already recorded an entire podcast talking about rivalry, an epic rivalry Saturday, and you're going to hear that discussion in just a minute. But in between the time we recorded that and published the episode, Bruce dropped the bombshell of all coaching bombshells, Lincoln Riley going from Oklahoma to USC. Uh, I'm just sitting here still in a bit of shock that something good happened to USC football um, and, and, and that USC was able to get a guy who LSU wanted as well. Do you, based on your reporting on this, do you feel like this had been kind of in the works for a while and just waiting for the regular season to end or this happened very quickly? From my understanding, Stu, uh, he was somebody that USC had targeted, but things really escalated uh, late last night and into the morning. So as you and I have, I mean, we'll do a little inside baseball here, but um, I don't know, probably like three hours before our report came out, I had that kind of cryptic tweet about USC is going to take <laughs> a big swing at, like at that point I started to hear and he's leaning towards going. I didn't want to put it out there like that. And then... Um, but I did put something out there. At that point, it, it had already ramped up significantly. And then it was going to be talking, Link from Lincoln Riley, talking to his bosses. And then there was a lag time of I don't know how long, maybe an hour, maybe more than that, of he is going to address, tell the team he wants to break it to them. And so at that point, I'm sitting there with like, mm, I don't know if, I, you know, I don't know how long this news is going gonna, is gonna to stay kind of under wraps, but it's, such a bombshell and to me it is not just a bombshell for USC first and foremost it is but certainly for the Pac-12 right and you're talking about a guy who has had the worst season they've had the worst is they finished seventh and he has been this off the brilliant offensive mind who's had a bunch of Heisman you know caliber guys either winners or runners up and I think this is a huge move. Now, who knows how it's going to ultimately play out because we thought Chip Kelly was going to be, you know, a total game changer. And that's taken four years. And you and I have talked a lot about the USC is is going to be a heavy lift to to renovate. But I think one key point here is Lincoln Riley's recruited really well on the West Coast and he already has a lot of momentum with that. And so, and with the transfer portal, I mean, let's see how quickly you can upgrade, you know, look, the defensive side of the ball is really shaky and there's a lot of pieces to this. I mean, you're gonna, I'm sure you're going to hear speculation. Oh, uh, Spencer Rattler is going to follow him back. He's an Arizona guy. He's going to follow him back. Who knows? Maybe Kalen Williams will, will try to go with him. Well, the 2023 quarterback that he got, uh, Malachi Nelson, might need to 
consider whether he wants to stay closer to home now. Right. I mean, there's a bunch of big-time recruits that committed, I think, in large part because they want to play for Lincoln Riley. And so, as you said in the beginning of this, um, man, it's rare when USC not makes a splash, but when USC does seemingly the prudent, shrewd, like, wow, that, you know, you think they have the potential to do it, but they rarely seem to do it. It's why they end up with Lynn Swan and Pat Hayden as ADs or why they had Clay Helton for so long. Well, they finally hired a real AD whose qualification was something more than I played football for USC back in the day. And clearly, you know, was able to offer him some, you know, the question was what, what is USC able to offer Lincoln Riley that he feels like he can't get at Oklahoma? Now, what I was told was there was a couple of big things that were appealing to him. One, uh, for people who've been around Lincoln for a while, know he has always had an appeal for Southern California and he's recruited out here a bunch. I know that from having known Lincoln for a long time. So there was that he knows there's a lot of talent here. I think there was also the big appeal of having the chance to rebuild a brand as big as USC. And I think that is significant to him. Now, what I was told is he was impressed by the alignment within the administration on this of how committed they are to this. So it's gonna, it was going to take a lot. But I think what, what is uh, you know the thing that's like a wow factor is for a while with these jobs that big jobs that were open we're like okay we know scott woodward is is the guy who makes the splashy hires um you know it was usc and mike bone that made really the splashy hire for two weeks we heard all these like wild rumors and reports about how lincoln riley was going to go for i don't know how 12 much million dollars you know, 12 to million LSU. dollars a year yeah, and I, I remember putting it out there. He's not, that's not the job he's going. He's not yeah. leaving there to go be the LSU head coach. Now, I didn't know 10 days ago when I had said that, that he was going to leave to be the USC head coach. But then Sunday morning, this thing, as I said, and, you know, as on my reporting, this thing really ramped up significantly overnight and into the morning. And here we are. Um, you know, if you're a USC fan, I think you are as happy as you've probably been. I don't since know. Pete Carroll was there. Since, yeah, since when Pete Carroll was the head coach. That's right. It makes me wonder, first of all, if Lincoln was not necessarily on board with the decision to go to the SEC. Um, for many, for whatever reason that may be, I mean, there are perfectly good reasons. I, I know it's the NFL of college football, but if you're the head coach at Oklahoma and you've kind of had the ability to, you know, you're the unquestioned alpha in the Big 12 right now and have been for some time, and you're going to go be one of, Alabama, LSU, Florida, Georgia, and so on and so forth, might not be all that appealing. Also not appealing that LSU fired a national championship coach less than two years after winning the national championship. So there's that. Um, Also, you know, I think I want to circle back to something we said earlier. This is a big, big day for USC. But as I wrote in a column that's going on The Athletic today, it's a big day for the Pac-12. The Pac-12 has been, you know, can't get out of its own way for about five years now for many, many reasons. And there's a stigma that comes with that. And I think there's been a lot of hand-wringing because not only are you the laughing stock, but now, and not only are you missing the playoff every year, but now it's having an effect where Bryce Young, DJ Uyunglele, uh, CJ Stroud, you name it, are leaving the West Coast to go play at one of the programs that can make the playoff. I can't, I don't know if I can achieve those goals here on the West Coast. I got to go to the SEC. 
like you said, I'm not going to go here and, and, and declare that Lincoln Riley is going to lead USC to the national championship. A lot has to go right there. But, at, but it gives them hope. It gives them credibility. It's a way to say like, hey, we th- this is a win for the Pac-12 and for West Coast football, which frankly, they haven't had a lot of wins. Uh, you know, Oregon beating Ohio State was fun for a week. And then, you know, the, 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 the buzz from that wears off pretty quickly. But USC hiring away Lincoln Riley is a kind of sends shockwaves across the whole sport. Yeah, it is truly a bombshell. I mean, when I started hearing it this morning, um, like I, it's just one of those things just from a reporter side of it you're like whoa this is like you know because a lot of this stuff it's like we speculate and I think about it but just um, you know I, I mean it's just kind of a little bit of a surreal thing and we'll see how it's going to work out I mean he had Oklahoma getting closer but they weren't you know this it's not like you know this year was a great year for them right and we saw them struggling and everything like that and uh, he had to make the quarterback change and now how does he remake USC, right? And where does so, Oklahoma go I mean, here? Because Joe Castiglione, who's been their AD forever, has really only ever had to make one, do one coaching search, the one that led to Bob Stoops. You know, he stayed for 16 years, I believe, 17 years. And then when he decided to retire, Lincoln Riley was just sitting right there. I don't think there's anybody on that current staff that you would say, let's promote him. And he's the obvious choice to be the head coach. He have to actually go out and hire somebody. Yeah, look, and it's a really good job. I think it's going to be interesting to see how does, you know, how does Lincoln, Lincoln Riley has a loaded 2023 class, as you mentioned. One of the top players is a quarterback from California. Are those guys fair game now? Like, I mean, you know, it's always awkward. Does a play, does a coach recruit the guys he had committed someplace else? It's almost taboo. I don't, I don't know how that's going to work. Um, Man, you know, like I said, it is an exciting day for USC. It is an exciting day for the Pac-12, especially like this couldn't have played out much better if you were if you were USC because all you heard was rumors about Scott Woodward and LSU, and you all this kind of like faulty stuff about what was going to happen with Lincoln. And then Lincoln on the night before says, "I'm not going to be the next head coach." Then and listen, like I don't know, lesson. I don't know, 16 hours later, look where he's going. I mean, huge, huge, huge deal. Well, Bedlam is one of the games that we're going to be talking about as we now return to our regularly scheduled programming. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman for what should be a really fun episode coming off of a Saturday that Bruce is going to rank up there with some of the most memorable Saturdays I can remember watching college football. Uh, especially rivalry weekend. You know, we've had years where you'll always remember where you were during the kick six or during the Cam Iron Bowl or, or you know, various other games. But to have back-to-back-to-back Michigan upsetting Ohio State and ending a 10-year drought, an Iron Bowl where Bryce Young leads Alabama 97 yards to send the game to overtime when they were losing 10-3, to and a bedlam that lives up to its nickname and truly was a a chaotic and crazy down-to-the-wire game and Oklahoma State prevails with its playoff hopes intact. I just enjoyed the heck out of it. What about you? Uh, I did too. I thought it was an amazing day. I'll be honest, I did not expect the Iron Bowl to to play out the way it did. Here I am thinking, oh man, that was quite a rant Nick Saban went on. His team's going to come out, you know, going 180 miles an hour and you know, give credit to Derek Mason and Auburn, their defense really, really got after Bryce Young. And that, you know, that turned into drama I did not expect. Um, But what it really felt like, take the Iron Bowl out of it, was a day for kind of slaying dragons, right? We saw that in, in Bedlam. And then, look, let's cut to the chase here. You have been, you have been the most down on Jim Harbaugh among national media like that's not like i think paul that's Feinbaum not that's maybe, not yeah. that's not either <laughs> pro like ohio state or whatever but like you have really been down on him for a guy who did an amazing job at stanford did an amazing job with the 49ers um and then got to michigan and it was like he turned michigan around he could not beat ohio state but you know, and I'll, I'll be honest, I was, uh, I think they're improved. I don't know if they're improved enough to beat the Buckeyes. And they were the much more physical team. And I felt like this very much felt like a Stanford kind of win back in those days where they were super physical. They, they were well coached on defense. I think you and all of us have to give Jim Harbaugh a lot of credit for retooling his staff. He went with younger coaches the Josh Gaddis hire has proven to be a very good one. The Mike McDonald hire, he hired Mike McDonald. Nobody knew who he was other than, you know, maybe diehard Ravens fans and and people who are like, know the minutiae of the Georgia staff. And that hire was really good. And we saw Hassan Haskins run wild. We saw Aiden Hutchinson especially be a dominant force. So what do you have to say for yourself about this Michigan performance and Jim Harbaugh? I know the uh, listeners have been waiting for me to eat crow, so I will go ahead and eat crow. Uh, he could not have proved me more wrong. The reason, you know, like I, I've said it many times, I fully believed he was a home run hire and 
he was going to lead them to, I, I thought it was going to be a, a Woody Bow type situation between him and Urban. And I, and it was so one-sided. Um, and really is the 2018 game where Michigan went in the better team, having had the better season and lost 62-39, where I was like, whoa, something's really wrong here. I don't know that he's going to be the guy to, to pull this off. Um, and then nothing really, I mean, if anything, they went in the wrong direction the two seasons after that. I didn't see it coming. I, I don't believe, you know, if there's a Michigan fan out there listening and saying, I, I fully expected us to be 11-1 and one and going into the Big Ten title game Frank, playing for a playoff spot, I, I don't believe them. Um, but it's really, it, it's, I don't want to say unprecedented, but when do you ever see a coach even get a seventh season after the direction that program was heading in and then successfully after six years of not delivering what he was hired to do in year seven, it's like the light bulb goes off and, and they pull it off. Usually once you've started backsliding, you don't usually see a coach get it back on track. I do think Brian Kelly is a good example of that. Um, and, and really what it comes down to is, like you said, that game yesterday, if you had asked me in 2015, before he ever coached a game at Michigan, what is a Jim Harbaugh Michigan team going to look like? It was that. It was physical, downhill, just blowing Ohio State off the ball and creating huge holes for Hassan Haskins and Blake Corum. And then getting after the quarterback, um, like Aiden Hutchinson did. I also, this wasn't talked about enough, but early in the game, Travion Henderson had a couple big runs. And I thought at that point, if you noticed coming out of halftime and was 14-13, they, they, they started going to him more because I think Ryan Day was like, okay, we can't protect C.J. Stroud very well. Let's go to the run. And Michigan defense, to its credit, stuffed him and did the rest of the game. He never got going. So all credit to Harbaugh for kind of getting back to his roots. You know, I think when he hired Josh Gaddis, he was trying to you know, it was his way of saying, okay, um, I'm not an expert on the spread offense and hurry up and RPOs. Let's bring this guy in. He knows what he's doing. There is some of that still in the offense, but really it's a Stanford-esque, you know, 2010 Stanford-esque approach to football and it's working. I think one thing that became very apparent, and I'm sitting there watching it with uh, Chris Peterson yesterday in our studio, was remember who's one of the mentors for Josh Gaddis? Joe Moorhead. There was a lot of Joe Mohead Oregon stuff that that just uh, befuddled the Buckeyes. And look, this was an argument. I do not want to say I told you so, even though I feel like I'm about to do it. Um, the one one issue we we ended up getting into you and I probably a couple of weeks ago was how much better the Ohio State defense is. All that stuff resurfaced. I mean, it looked it very similar. It was Oregon 2.0. Yeah, and I think, you know, if anything, what you had was was uh, a, a, a slightly different version. But, you you know, look, Anthony Brown Jr. played a really good game when he was in Columbus. I thought this game you had different weather conditions. You did have some mistakes, right? Like I, you saw the, the mistake where McNamara throws a – it wasn't a red zone pick. It was probably from maybe the 25. You're like, oof, you can't afford that. Well, they could afford it because they ran the ball down their throats – and I thought they have such an identity now, but they did a lot of misdirection stuff that I think caught them off guard and kind of had their heads spinning. 
and Ryan Day. It's not to say this season is a disaster, but my guess is the Ohio State defensive staff is probably going to look a lot different a month from now than it than it does right now because I just think that they realize they have some issues. And no matter what you saw for the last, you know, whatever, two months, um, they didn't play anybody with the exception of Michigan State. Michigan State fell into such a deep hole so fast. I just think that nobody else was capable of exploiting it quite to the degree that Michigan was. Yeah, you know, I uh, watched uh, like an eight minute condensed Big Ten Network uh, version of it this morning just to kind of refresh my memory about everything, knowing we were going to talk about it. And there were several moments in the game where you thought, okay, this is where Ohio State takes back over. Um, one of those was obviously, the, like you talked about, the McNamara interception, which they then went down and turned into a touchdown. Um, you know, it was, it was, I mean, look, right down to the end, it was, you know, Michigan gets the ball back 35-27. If they can get a stop, they've still got a chance. You hear Gus Johnson say, can they run out the clock here? Well, not only did they run out the clock, they ran right down the field, right down their throat, and ended up putting it away. But that being said, for all we're talking about with the, you know, it was for the most part a a run the ball down their throat kind of game. The two two of the biggest gains for Michigan were on a reverse uh, and a flea flicker. And Ohio State's defense just got caught sleeping. So you're right. Look, hindsight's twenty twenty. <laughs> By the end of the game, I'm sitting there thinking, I can't believe I wasted uh, – travel money, nights in a hotel to go watch Ohio State crush Michigan State and write a column that, hey, I think this team can win the national championship. And then seven days later, just look like a complete idiot. Um, hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, I do think what you're saying is true. That defense never really faced a running game that could truly exploit it until Michigan. I do think Kenneth Walker is, is still really good. And by the way, Michigan mm-hmm. State turned around yesterday and beat Penn State. He had another big game. It's just like you said, they got down so so big so fast, they just abandoned the run. Um, it's fun. It, During the middle of the season, as it's happening, you know, everybody's always like, oh, that, that team lost. They're overrated. And Michigan State finished 10-2. and two. They're going to finish in the top 10, at least in the regular season. They're going to go to a New Year's Six Bowl. That was still a very impressive win for Ohio State, but they. it's one thing to do it at home in a game where C.J. Stroud was never pressured. And it's another thing to go up in the snow in Ann Arbor. C.J. Stroud looked really uncomfortable right from the beginning. Aiden Hutchinson, um, I saw on Twitter, PFF College credited Aiden Hutchinson with 14 pressures, the highest number they've in a game since they started tracking it in 2014. So kudos to him. Kudos to Harbaugh. Also, I want to show some kudos to Michigan AD Ward Manuel, who did the opposite of what seemingly everybody else in his sport does and hit panic and pay the buyout and um, go find the next guy. He stuck with him at a time when most people thought, you know, I mean, they went two and four and if they hadn't had a COVID outbreak, they might've gone two and seven. They were miserable last year. And he said, no, I don't want to fire the guy. Let's give him one more chance with this reworked contract. And, and lo and behold, here they are. I uh, want to pivot a little bit before we get into Bedlam. I, somebody made this point. I don't know if it was Matt Fortuna, but somebody I saw had tweeted this out last night. And it's interesting because, look, it, we've had Blue Bloods or whatever now Blue Bloods kind of been the at the top of the food chain. And if you look back last year 
at the final CFP rankings, or not the penultimate, I guess they were, because it was to set up the playoff. Uh, Clemson, we know, has been a distant memory for 2021 football right now, obviously. Um, Ohio State, they're out of the mix. They were in the playoff. Alabama now, I mean, they can still beat Georgia and get a spot, but it's it feels like it's very shaky at this point. You, st- you do have Notre Dame hanging around. Uh, Texas A&M, they lost yesterday. They are 8-4, and four, and now maybe this is the way to lead into it, but Oklahoma was number 6. Florida was number 7. Uh, quite a difference this year. You know, Georgia's obviously there. La- you know, last year, Georgia at this time was number nine. Um, it's really amazing. I mean, even to take it a step further, Indiana was number 11 at six and one. They're two and 10. I mean, it's really been an amazing year. I mean, I thought about this in the context of, you know, sometimes we'll hear people say this where it's good for the sport if so-and-so is back. Uh, I do think it's good for college football. And then, uh, you know, it's full disclosure. I work at Fox where it's good for Fox if Michigan and Jim Harbaugh start kicking ass. Um, And that performance, I think, was good. What do you how do you feel about this? Not how do you feel about what do you think is real and not real when it's like, hey, we we have a lot of seemingly curveballs from what we've been used to in the last year. I think it's great. First of all. Michigan winning is is just so important because that is, you know, one of, if not the best rivalries in college football. And people had gotten to the point where they didn't think Michigan's ever going to win again. And this just, you know, brings back whether it turns out to be a one time thing or not. Who knows? Uh, I certainly think that quote he, he gave about he didn't say Ryan Day's name, but the, you know, born on third base quote. I actually thought, Stu, when he went you know after going there, I was like. Oh, this is going to be all the grievances are coming out. He's going to go, you know what? It's not easy to win. I won in the NFL and it's proven that some guys can't win there. You know, I was just waiting for him now all of a sudden to go, all right, now I'm pushing back now. Now I'm sitting on top of the hill. Now you're going to pay. Well, you know, remember early on in his tenure, he was... He's the one who pissed off other coaches. He would call them out on Twitter. Yeah, I forgot what was the what was the thing with Pete at Pete Carroll at midfield. I forgot what it was like. Oh yeah, the the what's your deal game? <laughs> what's your deal game? Yeah. Um, I mean, remember the whole satellite, the summer of satellite camps where he was just, you know, out from Kirby Smart to whoever else, he was taking shots at them on Twitter, and then he got humbled and he kind of went quiet. I remember, but there was some, some there was post-game. something he had with Urban. It was at a Big Ten media days where everybody's like, wait, what did he just say? It was like it almost like went out of his way to blast him. Um, but to your point, getting to your point about the, the, you know, this is what people wanted, or at least they said they wanted, new blood. Oklahoma State, you might get Oklahoma State in the playoff. You might get Cincinnati. You might get Michigan. And, and there's a storyline that we talked about a lot going into the season that kind of went by the wayside. But I think it's worth bringing back, and that's the super seniors. You know, I'm watching Oklahoma State last night and their defense, and Malcolm Rodriguez, and Devin Harper. And I'm like, these guys have been there forever. And sure enough, Rodriguez, Devin Harper, uh, Tay Martin, their, their receiver from Washington State, Christian Holmes, who had a big play, are, are super seniors uh, who came back for another year. I don't know that Michigan has super seniors necessarily, but Aiden Hutchinson came could have gone to the NFL and came back. Um, you know, that's an upper-class heavy team. Um, you know, I think you're seeing a year where the Ohio States and Alabama's lost their usual number of guys to the NFL, Clemson, and 
inexperience is showing up a little bit. Certainly Alabama, I think. Well, let me let me save that for a second. And then some of these teams like Oklahoma State, it opened a window for them and uh, and where experience is paying off. So, you know, last year at this time, certainly once the playoff field got announced, I mean, there was so much, ugh, this is so boring. I don't want to watch Alabama-Notre Dame again, you know, play in a postseason game. Clemson-Ohio State played for two years in a row. You're going to probably have, I don't want to jinx it, <laughs> but you could have four, for the first time, all four teams turn over from one year to the next instead of having two of the four, three of the four, uh, be the same. So hopefully, and people wanted this and now they're going to get it. And I hope I don't read in a month that, you know, the playoff games got a, some record low rating because there weren't enough blue bloods in it. Michigan is of course a blue blood, but they feel like the, even they feel like a bit of a Cinderella just because no, I mean, nobody saw this coming. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it was a fun element of like, you know, it's just the, the hard to script nature of a college football Saturday. It doesn't, you know, it plays out differently over the course of the year. But I, and the way I kept on thinking about it is like, this is the most bedlam, bedlam game because you had just really crazy was. stuff happening. Both teams had a muff punt turn into a touchdown. Yeah. I mean, uh, there was some stuff with like Caleb Williams is an adventure, you know, like in the last whatever two minutes, he has a run where I'm, I'm thinking he is going to score. Like, you know, it's, it's, I don't know if it's a 55 yard run, but it's like, I've seen this before this year and it's like, he's out in the open. And if he did score, I mean, they win the game or probably win the game. And it's like, can you block the guy here? Or just different things. It was just such a, um, I don't know. Like, again, you and I don't have, I don't feel like don't have dogs in these fights. You know, you just kind of want to see the, the drama and you want to see some crazy stuff college football usually delivers and that was it um we it don't was... have a dog in the fight but i will say you know journalists we root for stories and oak you know oklahoma state possibly breaking through and making the playoff in gundy's however long he's been there season is a better story than oklahoma going yet again under lincoln riley you know michigan actually beating ohio state is a better story then Ohio State beating them again and going to the playoff again. Can you be honest for a second? Yeah. I'm not saying you weren't you weren't honest there, but can you be honest for a second? Like, at what point do you sit and realize, oh man, I'm gonna have to eat a I'm gonna have to eat a lot of crap tomorrow because I have banged on Harbaugh on this podcast for like two years. I mean, I've been. We root, we root for our picks to play. I've been I singing his praises what... a lot more this season because he... This is what I always say to people when they're like... Um, You've been singing his praises? You've been singing his praises maybe like William Hung sings. <laughs> I don't know about him singing his <laughs> wow, praises. Wow, what a reference what are you talking? There. What I've been you giving talking him about? his due. I haven't... You didn't hear me come on this podcast last week and say, no way, he's never going to beat Ohio State. Well, I even wrote in the mailbag, there is... Somebody asked, a Michigan fan said, give me some hope that there's a possibility. And I said, there's very real hope if they follow this blueprint and they followed it to a T. Uh, but yes, I had completely written the guy off. And and I think a lot of people had completely written him off. It, when I didn't include him in the top 25 coaches two years ago, Michigan fans were up in arms. When I didn't include him this year, I barely heard from any of them because I think even they had thrown in the towel. I just, I just felt like you were so dismissive of them. But anyway, well, I think anyway. you were you you kept going back to Stanford and the 49ers. and I've told you same yeah, you same were, way you, you go back to James creature. Franklin with Vanderbilt, and I've told you I look at it more as a 
what have you done over the I last know. four or five years? And he had, I know. Here's he had, what I think. You know what? I want to see Brady Hoke's name on that top 15 this year. Brady, Brady Hoke, Hoke is, has done a Brady Hoke is 11 run. and 1. He beat Utah. He's lost, like, I don't know how much weight. He looks like he's like 43 years old now. So you're I a creature of the moment. I tweeted this out the other night. He has had, I don't think people realize how many times he's been fired in this in the span of he got fired as Michigan head coach. He got fired as the Oregon DC after one year because Helfrich got fired. He got fired as the Tennessee interim coach after one year because Butch Jones got fired. And then I'd totally forgotten about this and maybe not even realized it at the time that the Carolina Panthers fired him as their D-line coach with like three weeks left in the season. So he resurfaced at San Diego State as um as as uh Ch- Ch- D- Rocky D-line Long's coach. D-line coach. Gets promoted to head coach, and in two years, in his second season, they are top 25 team. You, by the way, are going to see them up close and personal this week as the sideline reporter for the Mountain West Championship game. Yes, I'm actually looking forward to that. They had a good win on Friday morning at like 9 a.m. local time to beat Boise. Um, good things are okay. happening for both Brady Hoke and Brady Hoke's successor at Michigan. Um I wanted to bring up, an, so you mentioned the Iron Bowl. Um, I think one of the amusing stories, I don't know if amusing is the right word for it. One, one, uh, it's been amusing to me, the storyline this season of Nick Saban just being happy to win. Um, that rant you you mentioned uh, that he went on at the at his coach's show where he, and, and I actually thought it went a little too far where he used, you know, he basically referred to some of his own fans as self-absorbed. Uh, for for not, I mean, he just really went, you know, went there about how frustrated he was about fans who think they're not winning by enough. So fast forward to the Iron Bowl, where their offense just stunk for 59 minutes. There's no other way to put it. They were they were totally dominated up front by Auburn. Miracle of all miracles, Bryce Young leads them down the field. They go to overtime. They win in this format that I can't stand, where it's like a the equivalent of a basketball game on a free throw shooting contest. I had a feeling once it got to overtime, they were going to win because um, TJ Finley was TJ Finley couldn't walk. It is remarkable that they almost won that game when their quarterback was so hurt. And then, so he does the post game interview with Jamie Erdahl. And I feel like, you know, because CBS does so many Alabama games, she's done like four or five of these. And you expect, you kind of expect him to, like, there have been seasons in the past. Like, I, I think of one of the years Tua was the quarterback. They would beat mm-hmm. people 52-27, to 27 and they'd interview him after the game, and he'd be fed up because the defense wasn't, you know, because the defense gave up too many points or blah, 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 blah. This year, after every one of these close calls, he's just elated that they won to the point where, I mean, he was giggling, giggling. Uh, he, he enjoyed that one so much. And talking afterward about, usually he just remembers the, the Iron Bowl losses, but he's going to remember this one for a long time. All of which is a long way of saying, a long-winded way of saying, Nick Saban has known all season that this team is not that great. And whereas the rest of us on the outside are like, why aren't they beating people by more, um, et cetera, et cetera. He's, I think, kind of amazed that they're even 11-1 and with all the issues they have, and he's just enjoying the heck out of it. Yeah, look, it's... um... Honestly, I don't have anything to say about it, too. <laughs> Sorry. Do you – well, let me ask you this. What chance do you give them against Georgia, who, you know, you see the way Auburn's defense 
dominated Alabama's offensive line and think, gosh, they're about to go play an even better defense, an even more dominant defensive front. This could get really ugly. Uh, I give them a chance because they have a, a terrific quarterback. Mm-hmm. They do have some weapons. Um, they have Will Anderson on the other side. Will Anderson, you know, as, as, as terrific as the Georgia defense is, they may have the best defensive think, player in the game. Yeah, I think they do. And the one area that we still really don't know that much about is the Georgia secondary. You know, that's the thing you talk to some people inside the Georgia program. They're like, yeah, we're great up front. We're not so sure just how good we are on the back end, right? So, I mean, I think Georgia's going to win the game now, um, but I wouldn't be—I sh- wouldn't even be surprised if Alabama won that game, just because right now, I like who this is again. I feel like I'm going to do what I—I kind of hate when people do, which is like you're trying to prop something up at all. What you're really doing is undermining. But I'm just like in the most SEC, who have they beaten? Like, who has been that good that Georgia has played this year? It's true. I mean, I think the only team that will be that they've beaten that will be in the committee's top 25 this week is Arkansas, and they will probably be around 20th. So if you're going by that, you know, if you want to say Georgia's overrated, they only beat X, you know, there you go. They only beat Clemson by seven, but and Clemson we know is not that good. It was a long time ago. That was ago, a long time ago. But, like, I actually think their, their most impressive win – is they whip Tennessee at Tennessee, and Tennessee does have firepower. Hendon Hooker's a talented quarterback. Josh Heupel's a good offensive coach. That game was on the road. I like to me. Um, yeah, they beat Auburn on the road, but I don't. I just like, think at I some point Tennessee's a more dangerous give, matchup. You have to give some credit to just. It's it's just you know, insane. You know when that point is going to be, Stu? That point is going to be Saturday next Saturday night. You know, I feel like you're making the mistake with Georgia that I made with Michigan. You know, Michigan, the signs were there all year. Uh, you know, no, I feel like I feel like I would be making the mistake that you made with Ohio State's defense. In what way? Ohio, there was actually like you, proof that Ohio you State. Were, there was actually in a game where Ohio State lost because their defense was so bad. Yeah, I know, but you bought into how much better they got because they were shutting down teams that weren't that good. I'm saying Ohio I think State Georgia's had, defense had if, if if I had been more, you know let's hold on. I, I want to say before we crown Georgia too much further, I think Georgia's really good. I think they'll win the game, but before I get too too sucked into the hyperbole on them, I want to see them. I wouldn't be surprised if it, I mean this may sound weird to say. Would about, you be surprised if would you be surprised if Alabama surprised won? If Alabama won, I'd be mildly surprised just because they were gonna have to do something okay. They're going to have to do some things that they haven't really shown that they can do. Mainly block Nicobe uh, <laughs> Dean and uh, Jordan Davis and all of these studs Georgia has up front. Um, but but I will say this, and this may sound weird to say after a game in which he completed less than 50% of his passes, Bryce Young really won me over. Uh, the last two weeks, you know, going up to that, I was a little... Are we sure we're going to put this guy in the Heisman conversation he's, just because he's the Alabama quarterback? No. He is the entire Alabama offense, especially after Jamison Williams got ejected for targeting. They couldn't run the ball. They couldn't protect him. Uh, he doesn't have an obvious... Yeah, the, their, their inability to inability to run the ball, like I know Bill O'Brien, they lost five uh, first-round picks, but their inability to run the ball has been a real... Like eye opener. Yeah, you know, in the week before against Arkansas, he did everything. 
Uh, but Jamison Williams played that game, obviously. I mean, the guy that caught the the touchdown at the end to send it to overtime had two catches the entire season. This is what they were down to. And so, you know, I'm not saying, okay, now he's going to win the Heisman because, first of all, I think they're going to lose this week. And second of all, I still don't think he's the best player on his own team. Will Anderson is having a phenomenal season. But he won me over in terms of if they, if you tell me today Alabama ends up winning this game, it's probably going to be because Bryce Young does some heroic things. And I th- I do think he has that in him. But I don't know. I'm just tired of the, well, who has Georgia played? They, you know, they have just destroyed everybody on their schedule, at least since that Clemson game. What more could you ask for? Um, I think that the reason I said it's the, just like I was skeptical, I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't get Pat, as statistically dominant as Michigan was all season. And even though that Michigan State game, they dominated for 45 minutes, you still had that I don't think Harbaugh can beat. I had, I don't think Harbaugh can beat Ohio State. And I feel like you've got a little bit of that with Kirby Smart, where you just don't trust him to beat Alabama. I don't, where I don't trust him to win a national title yet. I need I'm to not see. going national Look, title yet. I mean, I'm going this you know, game. You know, the, I know. The, the, here's the thing, though. What more can you ask for? <sighs> I mean, like the teams they've played, it's they're almost all unranked. They're you know? unranked, like they're, but they're that's the they're, part they, they're de- they're not. This isn't you know the schedule Cincinnati's playing. Like this is these are teams that um, first of all they're all going to bowl. Like the SEC, everybody but Vanderbilt's going to a bowl game. Um, most of these teams beat somebody pretty good out of conference. Uh, they may not be have that number twenty two or whatever in front of them, but they're in the top. Save all of them, I would say, except for obviously the guarantee games. No, no, wait a minute. Say all of them. Wait a minute now. I'm going to rattle off these. Um, we know what happened at Clemson. That was a 10-3 game. UAB, they thumped them. South Carolina early in the year. South Carolina's offense is, is really suspect. Vanderbilt. Arkansas, that was a really impressive showing. They shut them out. That was, a, that was impressive. Auburn. I mean, we've seen Auburn's offense kind of underwhelmed from time to time. Kentucky, that's a, you know, Kentucky has a good off, good enough offense, but they, and they 30 to 13. Florida was a mess. Uh, Missouri, Tennessee is the, to me, like I said before, that's the one that was the most impressive what they've done. I would put Arkansas in there with that. Charleston Southern and Georgia Tech, who's awful. And this isn't exactly like, let's. You're doing the same thing you did when you were like, Trying to compare Cincinnati having a close call against Tulsa to, um, I think that was the week Alabama had a close call against LSU. I mean, I think it's, you know, people might say, oh, it's yeah, SEC like I mean, I, again, the SEC was completely dominant out of conference this year. It's the best conference for a reason. If you were the Vegas, if you were Las Vegas, what would you put the point spread for Georgia? Well, I, it's tr- hard because I already know what it is. I feel like you already know what it 17. is. It's six and a half, and I think that's totally reasonable. Okay, so you'd be good with six and a half. I feel like the way you're talking, you feel like it should be like 12 or more. No, no, uh, not because I'm, we, I mean, if nothing okay, maybe else, I'm hearing I, you, you differently. Know, talent alone, Alabama has a good chance, you know, has a decent chance to win this game. We know that, like, if you were having an NFL combine of the two teams this weekend, they would be very you know, comparable. It's just that I feel like Georgia this year has gotten the most out of their players and Alabama has not. And whether that's coaching or just inexperience or both, um, you know, for all the five stars and four stars on Alabama's roster, they're, 
you know, they're very fortunate to beat a mediocre, and I will say mediocre, uh, especially without Bo Nix, Auburn team yesterday. They lost to an A&M team that ended up going 8-4. and four. Um, You know, it's, it's not a dominant Alabama team. They're going to have to rise up and play like they did against Ole Miss, which was a long time ago now, uh, to win this game. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, well, it's the Sunday of Thanksgiving weekend, which is usually when coaches, in the past, this was when all the coaches got fired, but they've already been fired. So now it's when the coaches, new coaches are getting hired. Um, As of this recording, we know at least one domino has fallen. Florida has hired Billy Napier. And I've given up trying to figure out who's going to do well among these new coaches when they get hired. But he has certainly earned a job like that. Um, with what he's done at Louisiana, and I give him credit. He turned people um, raised eyebrows last year. He turned down Auburn and South Carolina. You think wouldn't the coach at Louisiana jump for a job like that? He bet on himself. He had another great year, and now he's got the Florida job. Yeah, I think it's. I like this hire for Florida. I don't know if it's if it is a. There's no sure things on this, but. I mean, he knows the SEC well. He has done a really good job by all accounts. And I mean, I base this on a lot from both coaches who've worked there, but also coaches who've come in there to, to work on clinics and different things and have been around and been really impressed by what they have built at Louisiana. So I think this is a good hire for Florida. I really do. I think he will grind in recruiting, which is, I think, something that honestly was lacking before. And I think he is an attention to detail guy. We'll see how it plays out. I mean, there's a bunch of other big vacancies that are still out there, but credit to credit to the Gators. I thought they I thought they've made a good hire. Billy Napier's had so many stops along the way. Uh, you know, I, th- I remember him as Dabo's original OC. I remember him obviously as an you know he really his career really got a reboot when he spent one year as an analyst at Alabama. Uh, he was at Arizona State for a season, but I I'd basically forgotten he was the tight ends coach for the 2013 Florida State National Championship team. So it was only one season, but he has had a season coaching in that state at one of the big programs. And um, I think I think that's about as, in this, in this market, I mean, where so many of the big-name coaches are getting new deals and staying where they are, I think that that's, you couldn't ask for much more for, for if you're a Florida fan. No, I would agree with that. I mean, look, We've seen a lot of guys stay, obviously, in the Big Ten. You saw, the, you know, some interest in that in from other schools. And Mel Tucker's getting a landmark deal to stay at Michigan State. James Franklin's getting a long-term deal. P.J. Fleck in Minnesota got, got a longer-term deal. I think you've seen a lot of that. Um, Dave Aranda, as we reported uh, last week, is in line to also get a longer deal and a more robust deal. I think these are all what it comes back to is now who are you going to get? Who is going to take these other jobs? It does seem to me that firing the coaches when they did uh, early in the season may have backfired because it gave 
Michigan State and you know some of these these schools more time to work out a new deal for their coach and keep them whether they were ever going to get the job in the first place who knows but it was you know not a secret that they were you know the hot coaches and and possible candidates for another job and if you like your coach and you're happy with them and you want to lock them in so I'm interested once the dust settles I'll be interested to see what the legacy of this uh, very eventful and very unusual coaching carousel is if if you're going to continue to see schools you know pull the plug on coaches very quickly and try to get a head start on things um, or does it go the opposite direction and because we're see- we're just not seeing the movement you would have expected uh, you're not seeing the mid-tier power five coaches jump at the chance to go to a quote unquote, bigger job. We both agree USC and LSU are top five jobs, uh, you know, and um, and you're not necessarily seeing that guys are making those quote unquote, no brainer moves. In, and for one reason, because there's so much money out there that that, that Michigan State is, a, is has a couple zealous donors who are willing to put the money up to pay Mel Tucker $95 million is just unheard of and and by the way the ripple effect of that i would think you you can weigh in here there's a lot of coaches who are going to get raises this year because suddenly they're and i'm thinking of ryan day who makes 6.8 million dollars which is a lot of money but it's now significantly behind less accomplished coaches in his own division yeah i i think that is timing it's a lot of this is timing how does this play out and we're seeing it happen um you know, what circumstance and timing is. I mean, look, the, to me, the Jimbo Fisher, Fisher situation is kind of fascinating just to look at from a distance. Um, you know, Texas A&M paid him, a, a, you know, an insane amount, a seemingly insane amount of money and, and devoted resources. And they've gone all in. And now we're four years in. And I mean, I pointed this out because it was like the game that happened last night. Ed Ogeron gets fired after winning a national title there. He actually has a better record in the last four years in the SEC, even though they've struggled in the last two years, than Jimbo Fisher does since he's been at A&M. You know, and it's just like, I'm, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel Jimbo like... Jimbo Fisher just finished 500 in the SEC for the second time in three years, and he's making $9.5 a year. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's an interesting time right now. And I think if you're Texas A&M where obviously Kevin Sumlin got off to a fast start, but then it, then it fizzled out. I think, you know, I'm curious as to how, I, I think a lot of A&M fans are still like, Hey, this is the most momentum we've gotten. And we know Jimbo's won a national title, but Jimbo fizzle started to fizzle out at FSU too. So A&M fans are still all in on Jimbo. Um, and, and I'm sure they're, they're bombed about the loss, but, that one interesting thing about this, you know, com- crazy over the top contract is he's your guy and there's really no point in, you know, getting frustrated or, or, you know, there's, there's, he's clearly on no hot seat. And so, you know, we can say, oh, he's way overpaid or I can't believe they gave him this much money and he's only 21 and 12 in the SEC. But the opposite of that would be he has a more normal contract with like a, $18 million buyout and they, they finish eight and four and half the fan base wants him fired. So, which is what happened to Ogeron and what happened to Dan Mullen. 
and can really create a lot of instability. So yeah, they had a disappointing season, but it's not the end of, you know, because he's embedded there, um, it's not the end of the world. And he's got a, another high, he's doing a great job of just selling hope uh, that this is just one step toward their eventual inevitable national championship as soon as they keep recruiting at the level they're recruiting at. I don't know if that will ever happen or not, uh, but that's, if you ask an A&M fan, that that day is coming. Uh, just stay the course. Yeah, you would hope. I mean, this isn't Kirby Smart, though, where it's like he's been in the playoff. Like, this is year, you know, it's year four. Wait, one good year in a weird COVID year. And uh, other than that. They haven't been close yeah. to the playoff other than that one year. It's a good, but he did beat Alabama this year. And I think that that one win just, re, you know, just reaffirmed to everybody that he was the guy. He became the first save an assistant, former save assistant that beat him. And I think it just reaffirmed for everybody that, that he's the right guy. But yeah, they finished eight and four, four and four in the SEC. And of course we know that Scott Woodward, Scott Woodward, the LSU AD would have loved nothing more than to be able to hire Jimbo Fisher again. Could you imagine if he, if he actually had like had, had hired him and this was like the day they were going to announce it and the day it happened, you lose to, you know, loses to the guy you fired in your last game, you know, be awkward. <laughs> it would be awkward. Yeah. Cause especially with, to, to, if you were going to be able to have hired him away from AM, they would have had to pay gobs and gods of money. And like I said, his record in the last four years is worse than Ogeron's is. You'd be like, Hey, you know, he's our guy. Look, we, look who we hired. And you'd be, and some people would be like, but the guy you just fired won the national championship more recently, and just beat um, and just beat him with like, you know, I don't know how many guys they they're missing right now. Now Ogeron, I don't want to make it, make it seem like we're saying, oh, they were dumb to fire him. I mean, they five and five last year, six and six this year. That is clearly not where you want to be if you're LSU. But it's not lost on me that he ended up going two and two against Jimbo, the guy who. Uh, has been the white whale for LSU fans, I feel like, for multiple coaching searches now. Yeah, look, and, and who knows? Maybe next year will be the year that, that the Aggies go to the playoff. Maybe it'll then from that point on, it'll kick in and go into high gear. We'll see. They're not even, you know, they're not even, I mean, let's give Lane Kiffin some credit. He's the one who ended up, if you were doing your predicted SEC standings before the season, and I said, okay, Alabama's going to win the West at 11-1, and and then the second place team is going to go 10-2. Everybody would have said, oh, it's A&M. A&M's the team that's going to finish 10-0. No, it's Ole Miss. Um, they won the Egg Bowl the other night. First, what a crazy stat this is. First 10-win regular season in Ole Miss history. Uh, and 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 he did it in two years. He came in and did it in two years, you know. So Jimbo is the, hey, have patience. It's a slow pro- Stick with the process. And Kiffin just came in and said, you know, forget that. We're going to win big, and we're going to big win, win big right away. Yeah, I mean, look, hats off to the Rebels. That was a uh, that Egg Bowl is always interesting. I think when when uh, Mississippi State drops like three touchdown passes in a row uh, and then misses the field goal, when they have it, it's like, ooh, this is going to be a rough night for them. So as we head into the final weekend, and final playoff rankings come out Tuesday. I'm just going to stake this on the record. My prediction is Oklahoma State will pass Cincinnati in this week's rankings. I don't get the sense most people think that's going to happen. I do. Um, I think the committee's going to opt for the one-loss Power 5 team that now has two 
top 10 wins. The only way I could see it not being the case is if they come out and say we weren't really impressed, Bedlam went down to the wire, blah, blah, blah. I don't know how they could say that, though, that Oklahoma's defense, Oklahoma State's defense shut out Oklahoma in the second half. Um, are we back to talking Bedlam? <laughs> no, I'm talking playoff rankings Tuesday because it's kind of significant who, for two reasons. I mean, look, if Georgia beats Alabama, there's going to be room for both yes. Oklahoma State and Cincinnati. But I kind of feel like this year you, you really don't, don't want to be you seed. don't want to be the number four spot, right? Yeah, and so there that'll be it'll be something if we go from Ken Cincinnati make the playoff to Ken Cincinnati be the three seed. But I feel like that's we're we're close to that scenario. Hey, look, Cincinnati gave George, that Georgia team all it could handle last year in the. Yeah, Super I know Bowl. that's not supposed to count toward this year, but but it's in the back of your brain that they have only lost one game in the last two years, and it was a last second uh finish against georgia in in which they the, the only time georgia led that game was when they kicked the last second field goal um i don't know that bowl results you should necessarily read too much into them certain players were missing for both teams but um you know i think that's part of the reason i i, I think that's part of the reason people respect this cincinnati team more than they did ucf um ucf just didn't have they didn't certainly didn't have a win like at Notre Dame and you know they beat Auburn in the bowl game but I think Auburn had three or four losses that year so I I think that's part of why even power five fans except a few who are sticking to the they'd go eight and four if they were in the SEC um have such respect for the Bearcats all right as always send your emails to the audible pod at gmail.com we will see you next time